Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to all my listeners. Now, if it's your first time finding me, thank you so much. Come on in. This is episode 14 of season seven. Today is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. My name is Sono Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. So happy December, you guys. Yep, it's the beginning of another brand new month. And I can't believe it is the end of 2022. I don't even understand where the time has gone. This year has flown by, but I am definitely happy that 2022 is winding down. It's been a tough year for everybody. But I'm very much looking forward to all of the new possibilities that we have in store for us in 2023. That's for sure. I'm looking forward to bigger, better, and brighter. Anyways, you guys, let's start diving into my show today. It's another big one. So I'm going to be diving into my compliance tips and my compliance recommendations today on the latest CBR that's been issued on bronchodilator nebulizer medications. And of course, it's that time. It's red carpet time. I'm going to be rolling it out for my very special newsworthy guest today, Kristen Cadigan. And I'm going to close out today's episode with another remarkable quote on purpose and impact by Elizabeth Taylor. Now, if you guys have checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and our valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help all of your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and kindly drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your continued support. And as always, a friendly disclaimer, remember I'm bringing you the news, current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and recommendations based on my over 12 years of experience in front office, backend, coding, and billing for multi-specialty physicians in compliance and in auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. These are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. So let's get into a very special newsworthy that features my guest today, Kristen Cadigan. Oh my gosh, Kristen, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast today. I can't wait for everybody to get to know you a bit more. So why don't I start by reading your bio, okay? Now, Kristen is a former teacher turned risk adjustment medical coder with a bachelor's degree in theater arts. She studied at Towson University, the College of Notre Dame, and Penn Foster. She's a mother of three, and in her free time, she enjoys writing, baking, playing video games, and spending time outdoors. Oh my goodness, Kristen, thank you so much, and welcome, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just tickled pink to be here. Oh, well, I love it. Thank you so much. So you know what? You and I very recently connected on LinkedIn. And Mm -hmm. I was quite intrigued with your fascinating and very unique posts that, you know, in all the years that I've been on LinkedIn, and in my, you know, I think I have about 3000 connections Mm -hmm. on my feed, but I have not seen posts like you make, okay? Um, where you talk about facts of anatomy and pathology, pathophysiology, and things like that. So before we dive into that particular um, interest that I found, I want you to tell my audience about how you entered this unique field of medical coding, right? It's a pretty unique niche. And I know all of my guests, when I first have them on, I want to hear about your journey, right? What it is that you've done, 
where you've gone before, clearly, as your bio says, theater arts, right? So you clearly had to pivot at some point. Um, and I myself have also come from an arts background. I was an art historian in my first career. So I love to talk to unique types of people who bring a lot more to this particular space of healthcare. And I would love to know some more. Okay, well, um, I've had a very interesting career history. <laughs> uh, I started my professional life as a theater arts major in college. I thought I was going to be an actor. And my theater kid heart still loves performing. Yeah. It just has different outlets now uh, because I am too tall to be a stage actress, which I thought was at the time really devastating. What? But now I think is funny. I'm apparently too tall to act. That's ridiculous. Nicole Kidman. Too. Nicole Kidman is like six foot tall. She's a famous actress. I know. That's, that's crazy. But that was what I got from casting directors is you're too tall. So I okay, okay. threw in the towel. I went back to college and I pursued my second love, which was education. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And I was. Right. I picked up a post-baccalaureate certificate in secondary education and I was a teacher for seven years. Um, and then I became a mother and mm -hmm. that was where my attention needed to be. And then in 2020, when the, the world kind of fell apart, I was having my own personal falling apart right. and uh, found that I was going to need to be able to support myself and my three kids mm -hmm. by myself. Yes. yes. So it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. And then it took me a while. I had to get a temporary stopgap job. And by temporary, I mean, it was two years long working as a service coordinator for a very small mom and pop shop radio business. Um, but while I was doing that, I'd gotten I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with myself. I was feeling very lost. And I didn't know what I was even going to do to support my kids. And my mother just happened to mention to me what about medical coding? I have a cousin whose wife is a coder and apparently like she gets to work from home and she gets paid really well, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, well, let me look into that. Let me just kind of check it out and see. And it turns out it wasn't going to take me very long. Um, I found an accredited program at Penn Foster that took me less than a year to complete. Thankfully it was all asynchronous, did it on my own time. And I was pleasantly surprised when I got through, I can't say I find health insurance and billing terribly fascinating. I find it absolutely <laughs> necessary. I'm glad I understand the process of a revenue cycle and how we do things the way we do them, but I can't say it grabs my attention. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but then we got to anatomy and physiology 101 and I thought, oh my gosh, this is the neatest stuff ever. I just found it to be the human body is a masterpiece. And that was what hooked me. Yes. And when I got through anatomy, it was pharmacology. And then it was pathology. This is all so cool. I just want to know all the things. Yes. I will never know all the things I can aspire. So that was how I fell into medical coding. Mm -hmm. um, and I busted my butt, like everybody else who's a coder has, and passed my CPCA over the summer and was very, very, I would consider myself lucky um, <laughs> to have prior contact with a um, recruiter. Sorry, the word totally eluded me for a minute there. Um, <laughs> who was said earlier in the year, they were hiring for entry-level coders. She said, you have to have your CPCA. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, I can wait. I just happened to reach out to her once I had it and she happened to be hiring and they just happened to be able to hire me. So I was very excited to move into risk adjustment coding. I'd never done it before, knew this much about it. I know a lot more about it now. Yeah. And that's how I wound up where I'm at. <laughs> well, my goodness, again, like all of my previous guests, you have a history, you have a journey and the way you told it, however, was the best in my opinion because <laughs> all of the drama came into it. I love it. I love it. And you and I can see each other, although I'm not going to be posting this as a video, but you're incredible. Um oh, so you. animated. I love it. I love it. Now, you know, you you touched on some really good points. Um, 
you know, that people, when they have to make a pivot in their life, this is a really important message that you delivered, right? That not everybody is going to enter healthcare um, for the first time in their career, right? Um, this is, in my opinion, uh, predominantly a female field. Um, the majority of healthcare coders that are certified that I know of are female. Um, and so as you hinted at, absolutely, there are many of us that have had partners, spouses, children, right? All of those things uh, play a deeper role when it comes to a woman's career and her path. And so I really enjoyed when you, you know, hit the nail home when it comes to when we have something that's thrown in our face and we have to pivot, right? Something challenges us and we need to redirect our career path, like you so clearly said. Um, I myself had to do the exact same thing when the economy first tanked, um, not right now during the pandemic, but when it first tanked in 2008, 2009, that's when I had to re-examine my life purpose. What can I do other than be a museum curator, right? What else is there? <laughs> so I had to dig deep also and remember that I too fell in love with science and AP biology. And I did really, really well in high school and college level coursework. Um, so I just found that love again, right? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, and I want to get into that um, second question that I have for you, why I was drawn to your posts on facts of the day, anatomy, et cetera, is because you literally make the words jump out of LinkedIn, right? Like your, oh, thank you. your, um, your love of the subject matter definitely shows in your writing. Um, and so I think that really was the key um, to how I found you, right? And I really wanted other people in our industry to recognize you, find you, connect with you, right? And read some of those posts. And I would really like for you to share some of those posts or some of those facts that you have on anatomy or pathophysiology, something. Um, okay. I think that would be a great next uh, step in our conversation, Kristen. Sure. You're, as a matter of fact, I pulled some of my favorite ones out last night, so that way I could present them to you. Wonderful. Um, oh, gosh. You know, I like to tell this one to my kids a lot because my kids are notorious for getting hangry. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> I know people who can go without food for a long time and they're completely unperturbed. I'm Italian. I don't do that very well and my kids don't do that very well right. so we've i've talked to them about why you get hangry and it's not just because i'm feeling cranky and my stomach's rumbling and i'm cranky because of it there is a physiological reason why we get cranky so your blood sugar drops and once it drops below a certain threshold it sends signals to your body to kick out their are four counter-regulatory hormones, which increase the amount of glucose in your bloodstream, which then becomes available for energy. So growth hormone from the pituitary gland, glucagon from the pancreas, epinephrine and cortisol from the adrenals. Now, epinephrine and cortisol are also stress hormones that yes. trigger your fight or flight response. Huh. So it's kind of like your body's mechanism of, I need to eat now. And you procure food quickly, even if it's not always very nicely. Mm -hmm. So I, I enjoyed when I learned, when I learned that, I thought, huh, it's not just cause I'm, you know, hankering for, you know, my afternoon snack. There's right. a reason why. There's a reason why. Right. Oh, exactly. There's a reason why you three are acting like little. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eaten in a while. Ah, uh -huh. you know, one of those yeah. light bulb moments, both mm -hmm. from an anatomy point of view and from a parenting point of view. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought this one was neat. My mom always told me growing up, in order to make energy, you have to burn energy. And I didn't quite get it in my teens and early 20s. Right. But eventually I thought, why is that? Why is it that you need to burn energy to make more energy? Um, ATP, adenosine triphosphate, is the body's main source of energy for the cells. 
Um, muscle cells have just enough to perform very hard work over a brief period of time. We're talking like 10 seconds. Once you've used it all up, the body starts to convert carbohydrates to more ATP during glycolysis. Carbs are converted to ATP. The hydrogen atoms are produced and the buildup of hydrogen prevents the muscles from contracting fully. And this is why you feel the burn after you exercise. Mm, nice. And um, I'm not sure if you'd be interested. I've got some pharmacology ones. Yes, uh, please. please. Okay. So I am a shameless coffee. I don't want to say an addict, but let's just say I need my cup of coffee. I need multiple cups of coffee. Yes. I love my coffee. Yes. I like yes. my coffee, you know, hotter yep. than heck. Yeah, exactly. I need, I need it within like a certain amount of time frame of the eyes opening. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and uh, caffeine is one of the most widely consumed drugs on the planet. So what is it about caffeine that gets you going in the morning or any time of day? Um, it's a competitive antagonist in the brain on adenosine receptors. So adenosine is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it helps you fall asleep. It suppresses excitation. It calms you down. Caffeine blocks adenosine from reaching its receptors. So when that's blocked, it has an indirect effect on the release of GABA, glutamate, serotonin, dopamine, acetylcholine, and norepinephrine. So what happens is this increases your alertness and your wakefulness. Too much of it will make you jittery, of course. True. But True. um yeah, that's why caffeine makes you feel good. So I'll hail the dark bean. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. We need some level of caffeine, whether it's hot in coffee. And I, when I was living in the South, when I was living in Houston for almost 10 years, I had so many um, of my peers and colleagues who would not drink coffee, sadly, whether it was iced or hot. They instead drank cola. They loved like their oh. Diet Coke or the Coca-Cola products. And I was fascinated. I was like, is it because of the heat? I really didn't know. Um, but so many of them woke up and needed their their Coke or their Diet Coke every day, just like I needed my coffee, whether it was mm -hmm. iced or hot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I worked in a hospital cafeteria for a while, North Carolina, mm -hmm. and I was there for the breakfast shift. And I was floored at the number of nurses and doctors who were coming in and grabbing a Mountain Dew, yeah, a Diet see. Coke. And I'm looking at them like, you don't it's want breakfast coffee. time. I know. It's breakfast time. No, I, I, know. I get my caffeine. Yeah. Okay. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I learned to live with it for 10 years. But yeah, I also, yeah, it was that same idea. This is breakfast time. But yeah. Yeah, that's for later. <laughs> that's for later. That's for lunch. That's for later. Yeah, that's a lunchtime, middle afternoon slump thing, you know, but... <laughs> Hey, you know, teach their own, teach their own. Um, I, I wrote up a new one last night just for the podcast. I've oh, I started, love it. please. I, um, I find it interesting. You used to be a museum curator because I love history. Mm -hmm. I, history is one of my hobbies in my spare time. And I was talking to my partner about how Mary Tudor suffered from a condition called pseudosiesis. And he said, what the heck is that? Is and it, that? Gave yeah. me, it gave me an idea. I'm going, I've started to write a historical pathology fact of the day. Well, there oh. are a lot of diseases that have become, we don't, they're just not as prevalent as they were thanks to modern medicine. But there was times in the past where it was all over the place. It was a death sentence if you mm -hmm. got it. And I thought that would be a really fun thing to write about. So I've got one for everybody. So everybody knows the Black Death. We all know the Black Plague. It killed off 30 to 50% of Europe's population during the Middle Ages. But what a lot of people don't know is that the White Death was equally prevalent. They knew it as consumption. We know it as tuberculosis. Um, it's caused by the mycobacterium tuberculosis. It's an airborne pathogen. So all you have to do is aspirate it and it settles into the lungs and it gets into your alveoli and that's where it starts to multiply. Once it's in there and it's multiplied, it gets into your bloodstream and it starts to migrate towards the areas it really affects, like your larynx, like your brain, like your kidneys. And a lot of it stays in the lungs. After about two weeks of an being infected, your body's macrophages eat the TB um, and it forms a granuloma around it. It forms a hard shell, so it hopefully can't escape. But if the body cannot contain the TB bacteria, 
it escapes and then it really starts to multiply. I mean, you know, rapid proliferation. When it attacks the lungs in particular, it destroys your lung tissue. Uh, it it uh, puts it through the blender, so to speak. It, it, it damages the lung tissue to the point where it liquefies it. And this is where we get that classic symptom of the wet hacking cough mm -hmm. and productive cough with blood in it because it's liquid from the remains of the dead lung tissue and the bleeding that is caused by it. Um, in the end, without treatment, you die from respiratory failure as you basically drown in your own fluids. Uh, kind of macabre, but I find it fascinating that that's how the disease works because we've seen the depiction on television of, you know, somebody, I mean, this disease was prevalent right up until 1949 when we had a treatment for it. Mm -hmm. um, it was prevalent and you, it's in all the movies where somebody's got the consumption or they're consumptive and they're hacking up blood. And I thought, well, why do you cough up blood when you have mm -hmm. TB? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, that would be why. Ooh. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. You totally painted, you know, a macabre picture, but now we all understand, right? Why? Now we and know what why. happens in the background. Yes, exactly. Love yeah, it. it is not fun. I'm glad we're here. That is no, I'm glad we're disease. past that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm very glad that we could take care of that these days. It is exactly. not going to kill you anymore if you catch it fast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, Kristen, do you happen to write any of these details for the AAPC? Um, I do. I okay. was um, rather floored, humbled, and then ecstatic when um, Craig Larson from AAPC reached out and said, would you be interested in, be in being a subject matter expert with AAPC? I just... Wow, that's terrific. Oh, I love that. You know... Writing has been a hobby of mine for ages. I am very passionate about writing. Mm -hmm. I've written a fiction novel in my spare time during 2020 when nobody had anything to do. Right. Um, <laughs> so when he asked me, I, it was like the combination of my great loves. Now I get to write and I get to write about medical stuff. This exactly. is amazing. <laughs> Beautiful. I told you, I told you, I loved your anatomy facts. They pop off of LinkedIn. So I'm glad that Craig thought so as well and um, plucked you and put you for a PC. I love it. I love it. That makes me very happy as well. That's wonderful. Wonderful. So you also hinted at you were um, working now with your CPCA doing mm -hmm. HCC coding. So how is that going? This is a relatively new post, right? Yes, I started okay. HCC coding officially. I was hired for by CSI companies to code for Optum. Okay. And it's really interesting. I learned so much. And, you know, it was one thing to study the practical theory of how to code, how to code, especially because in risk adjustment coding, as I'm sure you know, it's all ICD-10 codes. It is. There are no yes. procedure codes. There's no, no. hectics. It's just no. ICD-10. Yep. And it's one thing to have to index it in a practice exam. It's one thing to study the theory. And then it's another thing when you are reading somebody's actual medical chart yes. and having to go through the process of indexing the disease correctly yes. to the highest degree of specificity. Right. And it stretches my neurons. Those first four weeks of training, whoo, boy, I yeah. was just, whoa. It was a yeah. brain workout. Yeah. Um, having to remember what has a presumed causal relationship to what? Mm -hmm. And specifically, I code for Medicare patients. So I'm not coding. I'm not capturing every code. I'm not capturing a lot of the acute codes unless it's in an acute setting. Mm -hmm. I'm not capturing conditions I would consider to be debilitating, like degenerative disc disease or uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or, um, you know, myelopathies. I'm not capturing those codes because they don't have an HCC value. And the more I do it, the more I understand mm -hmm. why does that have a lower HCC value than that? Right. Why does that have an HCC value? And that one doesn't. And doesn't. the more mm -hmm. I do it, the more I understand the whys of how it works. Right. It's incredibly complicated, right? You have to be able to navigate the whys for HCC coding. And that's where everything is kind of heading to in the future, mm -hmm. right? With mm -hmm. the way all of the payment reimbursement models are going. Um, 
this HCC coding is the way of the future, in my opinion, as well. So absolutely um, spot on that this ICD-10 coding uh, you have to master. And by the way, since you have the inside skinny more than some of us do, um, who still have to do all the procedural coding as well. Do you have any inside uh, crystal ball shinings that you can share? When do you think ICD-11 is gonna come to the US? I've heard it's supposed to be 2023. That's like now, that's in a few months. Don't, I would, if, if I was to make a guess, what would make sense to me would be to do it October the 1st of 2023, because that's when ICD-10 gets updated anyway. anyway if you're going right. to update the whole shebang, right. do it then. Don't release it in April and then have to re-release everything with updates in October. But I don't know. That's just what I've heard. I've seen it on LinkedIn, people talking about, yeah, 2023 will be the ICD-11. We'll find out, won't we? <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, I want it. Yeah, because I've been reading that on LinkedIn as well. Um, as of the past week. And I remember when I read my crystal ball and I put something out on LinkedIn or on some podcast that I gave, I was like, oh, we won't be seeing it until maybe 2027 if we're lucky. Clearly, I mean, maybe I was very hopeful, very optimistic that we had time, but now it looks like we don't have any time to prepare maybe, if maybe it's 2023. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's a happy medium of 2025 so we can all like, Catch your breath a bit. We need to prepare. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big change as usual. So, and we just are dealing with, uh, again, on the procedural side, so many changes that are taking effect right now on January 1, 2023. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just a lot for all of our brains to hold on to and master again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kristen, you've been amazing. You've had so much to, to share. And I'm so glad that I brought you on because again, as a relatively new coder in this space, it's always good to hear a different perspective, right? And a broader sense of what is going on and what people have to offer and contribute. So I think my audience is gonna enjoy hearing the fact that you are a new coder and you're working in the HCC space and you've been given the opportunity to share the facts of your writing skills that are so wonderful that the AAPC just plucked you up and said you can write for us, right? <laughs> I think that's pretty incredible. I'm, I'm still floored. I still wake I'm, up in the morning and go, is this yeah. my actual life right now? <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. So, you know, my last question that I normally um, have for my guests is something along the lines of, you know, where do you expect to see yourself in the next five years? Where does Kristen see herself going? You know, uh, I was actually asked this question recently, and I would say I can see myself branching into one of three fields. I enjoy HCC coding. This makes sense to me. I prefer... ICD-10 coding to procedural coding. If I have my druthers, this is where I'm happy. Um, but if I was to say, where would I like to be in five years? I could see myself either becoming a coding auditor. Mm -hmm. I actually enjoy doing some second level reviews and seeing like what is correct, what needs to be added to this, what was maybe not correct to code here. Um, I could see myself being a coding educator, which would fuse my previous background with my mm -hmm. current one and teaching people how to code. Yes. I could also see myself being a coding writer. In fact, if I could do anything, I would do that and write full time right. um, about coding and medicine, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to cross my fingers and work really, really hard. And in five years, I'd like to be in one of those three spots. <laughs> I love it. I love it. My goodness. I know you can do any one of those three buckets absolutely well. Totally. I totally love it. I love all of those three buckets. Absolutely. Absolutely, Kristen. Now, before you go, is there any way I can share your LinkedIn profile on my show notes since that's how I found you? Is there anywhere else um, I can provide my audience with your details? Um, just on link, just on LinkedIn. I prefer to okay. keep that. I just Perfect. prefer to keep my professional things on. My Absolutely, good. Yeah. Um, so, but thank you for asking. I, I 
so tickled you had me on your show. Yes. No, no, absolutely. No, it's been my pleasure to have you as a guest. I think you provided my audience plenty of insights into who you are and what you do and all of the possibilities that new coders, even some seasoned coders can dive into. So I appreciate your time with me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for making time for me. I was just, I was honored. Thank you. And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. So in today's compliance tip, I wanted to dive into the latest comparative billing report or CBR that's been issued on bronchodilator nebulizer medications. Now this is CBR number 202210. That's right, it is the 10th CBR for the year for 2022. Now, right now, during the month of December, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, will be issuing a comparative billing report, that's that CBR, which is going to list referring providers on Medicare Part B claims for bronchodilator nebulizer medications that they provided. Now, this particular CBR 202210 focuses on our HICPICS codes. Those are our Healthcare Common Procedure Coding System codes, and there are going to be six of them outlined on your letter. Now, the first code is J7605. The second code is J7606, J7613, J7614, J7620, and finally J7644. Now, these J codes are, of course, the medications, those drugs, those inhalants that are used. Now, the CBR analysis was based on claims extracted from the integrated data repository using the latest version of claims that they had available to them on November 2nd, 2022. Now, this analysis includes claims with dates of service, specifically from July 1st of 2021, through June 30th of 2022. Now remember, the 2021 Medicare Fee-for-Service Supplemental Improper Payment Data Report reflects an improper payment rate of 13.5% for nebulizers and related drugs, which represents a whopping over $111 million in improper payments. Now the types of error that comprise the overall 13.5% improper payment rate for Medicare Part B nebulizers and related drugs include another big percentage. 66.2% of that improper payment rate is attributed to insufficient documentation, and another big number, 12.9% of that improper payment rate is attributed to medical necessity errors. Now, after the review of and research into the improper payment rate, this CBR was created to analyze the possible threat to the Medicare trust fund associated with bronchodilator nebulizer medications. So the expectation is that providers who provide these services will maintain proper documentation for patient care and confirm correct coding processes. Now, let's be mindful that the criteria for you receiving a CBR are that you, the provider, are found to be, number one, significantly higher compared to either your peer group or the national percentages in any of the three metric calculations, which means that you will be greater than or equal to the 90th percentile. Now, you will also be a provider receiving this CBR if you've had at least five total patients with claims that you have submitted during that time frame for those six HICPICS codes. The first HICPICS code is again J7605. The second HICPICS code is J7606, J7613, J7614, J7620, and J7644. And finally, third, you as a provider will receive this particular CBR if you've had at least 150 total dollars in allowed charges, again, during that specific time frame. So let's focus on one particular HICPICS code for this trusty tip 
segment, and that is HickPick's code J7620. Now, let's walk over what J7620 is. Now, it's defined as albuterol, up to 2.5 milligrams, and ipratropium bromide, up to 0.5 milligrams, FDA-approved final product, non-compounded, administered through DME. Again, that's the nebulizer, right? That's that pump. Okay, now, for example, your letter will identify in a chart. Now, this is just an example. Your letter will be very specific to your patient population and what claims you sent out during July 1st of 2021 through June 30th of 2022. So now, the, the particular piece of mail, your letter will identify in a chart, in a table, your utilization for the specific time frame that I just addressed, right? That specific time frame, July 1, 2021 through June 30th, 2022, is for those specific HICPICS codes that we went over. But your letter will break down all of those J codes, right? I just want to highlight that one J code of J7620. So for example, in a letter that you will hypothetically receive, it will say that your total allowed charges for that time frame were $22 for 180 units of that J code, J7620, for a total of one patient. And I want to walk us through why I've only highlighted that one specific HICPICS code. All right, so now the metrics. This particular report is going to be an analysis of the following metrics, right? Number one, the average allowed units per beneficiary by category. And number two, it is also an analysis of this metric, the percent of paid claims for bronchodilator nebulizer medications submitted for that HICPICS code, specifically J7620. Now, this particular CBR analysis focuses on those providers listed as referring providers on Medicare Part B claims for bronchodilator nebulizer medications. Now, statistics were calculated for each provider, all providers in the specialties and all providers in the nation. The state and national peer groups are defined as follows. So your state peer group is defined as all rendering Medicare providers practicing in the individual provider's state or territory with allowed charges for the procedure codes included in this study. And then the national peer group is defined as all rendering Medicare providers in the nation with allowed charges for the procedure codes included in this study. So each provider's values are compared to his or her state peer group values as well as to the national values. And be mindful that your metrics were compared to your state group as well as the nation. And then be mindful there are four possible outcomes for these comparisons between the provider and his or her multiple peer groups, right, state and nation. So you'll be found to be significantly higher if you're in the greater than or equal to 90th percentile of your state group or the national mean. Or number two, you will found to have been identified as higher, which means that your, your provider's value is greater than the state group or the national mean. Or number three, you will be found to have no, does, does not exceed, which means that your provider's value is less than or equal to the state group or the national mean. And finally, number four, it's simply not applicable, which means that you as the provider had no sufficient data to compare with the state or the nation. Now, CBR number 202210, remember, summarizes statistics for services with dates of service from July 1, 2021, all the way through June 30th, 2022. Now, this CBR highlights the facts that there are exactly 151,583 providers nationwide that are listed as referring providers on claims for bronchodilator nebulizer medications. The total allowed charges for these claims were over $283 million in total charges during this analysis timeframe. Now, remember the bronchodilator nebulizer medications vulnerability, right? 
Let's be mindful. I stated this earlier. According to that 2021 Medicare fee-for-service supplemental improper payment data report, this is very important, there was a big improper payment rate found of 13.5% for nebulizers and related drugs, which represents over $111 million in improper payments. So let's be very mindful again that those types of errors that comprise the greater improper payment rate for Medicare Part B nebulizers and related drugs include a whopping 66.2% improper payment rate was attributed to, of course, insufficient documentation. And then another 12.9% of an improper payment rate was attributed to medical necessity errors. And of course, the overall desired behavior for these services is, of course, to number one, protect the Medicare trust fund. These particular CBRs throughout the year are all about that. That's their number one focus is to protect the Medicare trust fund. And then also the desired behavior is, of course, providers should be mindful and their internal teams should be mindful. Review those HICPIC codes to ensure correct code assignment. You should be performing regular internal reviews of documentation and code selection to ensure accuracy and compliance. Now, it's critical to understand that a CBR does not indicate that you are going to get an official audit. Although, please be mindful that this phrase is directly coming from the MACs that issue the CBRs. So please take that with plenty and plenty and plenty of grains of salt. I've said this time and time again in all of my CBR trustee tips for the year 2022. I've said it in every episode. So please be very mindful that you absolutely are being looked at closely. So it is a valuable tool that is accessible to providers that receive it, right? It definitely serves as a tool to please look at your billing patterns as compared to all of your peers in the state and across the U.S. And the value also includes the facts that the specific coding guidelines and billing detail informations are going to be included, right? And that's what I always try and provide to you in my trusty tips. And I go above and beyond and give you a bit more research as well that is not identified in the CBR. Now, the CBR informs providers whose billing patterns differ from those of their peers, right? So they just want you to shape up, do those internal audits, and begin submitting clean claims moving forward. Now, the desired behavior here absolutely is to capture proper and compliant documentation, like I just said, right, for these types of inhalant drug services. Because these numbers, in my opinion, are simply way too high, way too high of an error rate. And that basically just puts the target on your back. So we want those numbers to go down. So again, 66.2% of that improper payment rate is due to insufficient documentation. 12.9% of the improper payment rate is due to medical necessity errors. So my best practice recommendations always include review those HICPICS codes to ensure correct code assignment. Perform those regular internal reviews of documentation and code selection to ensure accuracy and compliance. Take that extra step, slow down, and make sure that things are being sent out clean and correct the first time. Because in my opinion, these two steps alone can help reduce the possibility of improper payments and then possible identified overpayments later, right? So of course, these are J codes, right? And they are drug codes. So we have to understand the units of how we bill out these J codes, how each product needs to be coded and billed. And of course, this particular CBR identifies that insufficient documentation is the killer here again, right? As we've seen throughout the year for the majority of these CBRs, it's the insufficient documentation. That's the big one. It's the big whopper. So what documentation do I want to see when I'm auditing for drugs for those J-code services here, specifically those bronchodilator nebulizer medications? So I want to see if any Medicare local coverage determinations or local coverage articles, those are our LCDs and our LCAs, 
or if there's any national coverage determinations, our NCDs that might apply. So I wanna see that the documentation meets all requirements for our specific HICPICS code that I want to pinpoint, J7620 for albuterol, right? Like, I want to make sure that my audience is aware. Did you know there is absolutely 100% a specific LCD and a specific LCA that addresses all the fine details and common errors for our HICPICS code J7620. So there's a chart in the LCD that places limitations and maximum amounts of the drug for J7620. Remember, that's our combo drug of albuterol and ipratropium, right? So now that chart identifies the maximum milligrams in the month for that specific inhalation drug that's considered reasonable and necessary by Medicare. So that chart specifically says albuterol slash ipratropium combination, 186 units per month. So there it is. It's specifically written right there exactly what the units are per patient in that month. Now, the LCA specifies even further than the LCD. Quote, the billing unit of service for inhalation drug codes vary. Suppliers must be sure that they use the correct billing unit or the code when calculating the number of units of service to enter on the claim. The following is guidance on a few codes where errors are commonly seen. And again, I've only plucked the code I want to specify, J7620. So it continues saying, quote, HICPICS code J7620 is used for an FDA-approved combination of albuterol and ipratropium, which contains 3.0 milligrams of albuterol sulfate which is 2.5 milligrams of an albuterol base and a 0.5 milligram of ipratropium bromide in each unit dose vial. For these products, one unit of service of J7620 equals one unit dose vial, end quote. So there it is. It's right there in black and white. It tells you what they want to see for units. Now, the LCD even outlines when more claims will be denied specific to this CBR that I'm discussing throughout this trusty tip, right? And the LCD states, quote, code J7620 describes the FDA-approved unit dose combination, again, of albuterol base 2.5 milligrams and ipratropium bromide 0.5 milligrams in unit dose vials. The medical necessity for administering additional albuterol sulfate or levobuterol and or additional ipratropium bromide has not been established. Okay, so they're telling you when they will deny things right there. It's in black and white. They go on and continue saying, quote, claims for HICPICS code J7613, J7614, and J7644 billed in addition to J7620 will be denied as not reasonable and not necessary, end quote. Now, remember, those specific HICPICS codes are addressed in this CBR 202210, right? In conjunction with the one that I really wanted to put the spotlight on, J7620. So we have to be very mindful and read our applicable LCDs and LCAs to understand the greater nuances of why you've received your CBR in the mail. So, in my opinion, this CBR should have all of us issuing these bronchodilator nebulizer services really, really, really buckle down and self-audit, whether we received this CBR in the mail or not. It's a great time to dive deeper into your own data, help yourself, and help the Medicare Trust Fund at the same time. You should be paying attention to what you are sending out the door. Is it really in compliance? 
So please stay ahead of the curve and avoid receiving post-payment audits from the payers down the road. It's fundamental if you have Medicare as a payer to keep your eye on correct and compliant coding and billing practices and make sure that you are adherent to all of them. So it's important to make sure that your clinical documentation addresses and captures all indications for coverage and medical necessity. So then please avoid the whopping 66.2% of this improper payment rates being due to insufficient documentation, as well as 12.9% of this improper payment rate being due to medical necessity errors. I provided you with my bonus tips in there, right? Specifically addressing the LCD and the LCA that you will not find in your CBR. So please keep this podcast on a tab for yourself so you can listen to it and please take that extra step and read the LCD and LCA for yourselves and keep it on file for your practice if you are happening to be sending out claims specific to this nebulizer type of drug. So a better, smarter approach is one that's proactive and starts by painting a clear, rich, and vibrant medical picture the first time so your certified medical coders can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, I focus season seven spark on purpose and impact. I want this seventh season spark to be filled with our world's thought leaders, writers, artists, philosophers, everyone who inspires the need for purpose and impact in all we strive to do. So in this week's inspiring quote in Spark is from Elizabeth Taylor. Follow your passions, follow your heart, and the things you need will come. Absolutely true, right? I think this is an amazing quote that reminds us to not only follow our passions, but to stay true to them as well. I think this quote reminds us that we all need to remember just how big our lives and our hearts can actually be. This quote inspires us to never give up, but to keep going. I think this quote reminds us that we should embrace our inner light, that spark that burns within. I think this quote enables us to leave our own legacy of impact behind. I am happy Elizabeth Taylor Spark still shines on in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. And as always, I appreciate you all diving into today with me. If you want more information from me, please go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. And in my last thoughts today, when this episode airs, I'm going to be in Savannah, Georgia, attending the NamUs conference with all my fellow medical auditing colleagues and friends. It'll be so good seeing everyone and catching up. And of course, I'll be receiving that much needed continuing education to maintain my hard earned credentials. So remember, please make your week ahead full of gratitude and take joy in every moment life has in store for you. Thank you all so much for listening in on today's very special episode and I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday. <music>